Well, I am fascinated by this text from Mark. We've left out a few verses in the middle, but that's what the lectionary calls for. And I will tell you a little bit of the story. For you see, Jesus, you will remember from a few weeks ago that Jesus had sent the disciples out as apostles two by two. And now they have returned and have gathered and are reporting in to the big boss to let Jesus know where they had gone, who they had seen, what they had done, and what they had preached. And so Jesus receives their reports, but he's receiving more than that. He is perceiving in them a deep exhaustion. For going out where people do not know you and going where you do not know how you will be received is an exhausting process. And the needs of the people become so great that you just continue to give and to give and to give, even to the point at which they had no time to eat. And they had been gone from Jesus for many days. So Jesus says to them, Come, let us go to a restful place. Let's go someplace where we can have some peace and be restored. And so he points them to a boat. And they get into the boat and begin to cross. But the people, with all their needs, spot them going, recognize what's happening, and begin to spread the word. And pretty soon, the people are rushing and rushing and rushing and running to try to get to the other side where Jesus and the apostles are headed. And they do get there. Indeed, they get there before the boat. Now, that's running. That's running. But they come by the hundreds, by the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And there they're gathered, and Jesus, who had this hope for respite and for rest, and for restoration, sees them gathered and takes pity on them, has compassion for them, because Jesus says they are like sheep without a shepherd. And so he goes then to that, it's historically considered to be a hillside, where he then teaches them. After he concludes his, or has almost concluding his teaching, I'm not sure Jesus ever concludes. No last sermons for Jesus. <laughs> but after, when, and when time has passed, the disciples come. And this is the part that we left out because the scripture would just be way too long. Comes the feeding of the 5,000. Most of you know that story. The five loaves and two fishes. It's considered a miracle be honest to be honest with you i think the miracle was that all the people dug in their pockets and they all contributed because the apostles and jesus had given everything they had and so they did the same and it was a miracle of community that resulted in their being able to collect basket after basket after basket of leftovers from five 
loaves and two fish. And then following that, Jesus goes up to a mountain to pray and sends the apostles back onto the water to cross the water, hopefully to find that rest and restoration. From that mountain, Jesus sees that the sea is indeed boiling as a result of heavy wind. And the disciples are rowing like mad and rowing like mad and getting nowhere and the water is coming in the boat and Jesus from the mountain is worried and he comes down off the mountain once again, no rest for the weary, and walks across the water and everything calms down and they are able to continue on their journey. And then the scripture that was read this morning picks back up. They get out of the boat and the word has traveled there. It's Jesus. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And he's coming. And he's coming. And all across the region, people are racing back to those among them who are ill. And they bring them on pallets and with canes and walking and carrying them and lay them in the marketplaces of all the different villages and towns so that Jesus and the apostles can heal them. And their faith is such that lying there in the marketplace, they believe and know that if they can just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, they will be healed. I want you to notice very few of those who were ill got there on their own. They were carried, carried by their friends and their family. And it was not Jesus' initiative, it was theirs that resulted in their healing. Now, I don't mean by that Jesus was incidental. But I mean that if they had not reached out, if they had not taken that step, and if their family and friends had not surrounded them and carried them into what became a sacred moment, they would not have been healed. Now, what fascinates me about these two, what are called pericopes, these two sections of Scripture and their linkage in the lectionary, is that for me, after 46 years of ordained ministry, yeah, I'm old, it's about the rhythm of ministry. And so I want to say a little bit of, about that to you. Because it's been my experience that almost every time I think, oh, I'm going to get a breather, a need arises. And we in Christian ministry respond to need. And so we try to meet that need. Now, there are times when we know inside ourselves that we need the rest in order to be able to continue to heal, to teach, to preach, and all the other things that we do. 
So I'm proud of you as a congregation for supporting your senior minister, David Young, in taking this time in the wilds of Minnesota. And by the way, I think it's been pretty wild. They had a storm a couple of weeks ago where they lost power for three or four days, and they were without telephone for even longer. So it is the wilds. It's the equivalent of up on that mountaintop where David and Michelle have been. But I'm proud of you for supporting him in taking that time. And he'll be back this week. And I hope you'll welcome him warmly. Because the experience of ministry is an experience that is at times draining. You know, you remember that story, maybe you haven't heard it, but that story of the three blind people who were asked to describe an elephant. You know that story? Well, some of you do not, so I'm going to tell it anyway. You know, there's, there's the one blind person who goes up to the elephant and, and goes like this. Oh, an elephant is a wall, and it's round and it's rough. And the next person goes up and manages to grab hold of the trunk and says, an elephant's not a wall. An elephant's like a pool noodle. But it's thick and rough and strong. And the third one grabs the tail and says, oh, no, 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 no. An elephant is like a rope with a fringe on the end. Well, my point is simple, and that is, that's how we view ministry. It's, we think that your, what, what our pastor does is what we've experienced. And I'm here this morning to tell you, as one who is normally a pewee in my local church, that pastors do so much more than you could imagine. A pastor's sacred trust from the time of ordination onward, is to know the scripture deeply, to care for the people actively, to ensure that the mission of Christ's church goes forward with integrity, and indeed always to teach Christ's way, as scripture says, in season and out of season. Oh, there are many more dimensions to it. Obviously, a pastor has responsibilities in the context of the church and its organization. A pastor has responsibilities in relationship to the youth and the children of the church, in relationship to you name it. Think of all the baptisms and marriages and confirmations and funerals that a pastor does. When I got to the end of my 11 years as a pastor of a church in Connecticut, I realized that I had done the equivalent of a wedding every other day for 11 years. No, 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 no. Every other day of a year, I had done a wedding. And that means 180 some odd weddings over the 11 years I was there. I had done I don't know how many baptisms. I think we were doing at that point um, an average of four baptisms a month. 
Um, it was just an amazing experience, and I loved parish ministry. Loved parish ministry. But so much is invisible. You don't know what your pastors carry on their shoulders in their care for you, in their care for the church, and in the care for the wider community and the world. For the sacred trust which is placed on a pastor's shoulders is not just to care for you individually and to care for this church, but to speak the word of God and to enable you to be witnesses out there in the midst of the world so that your witness as a minister of Jesus Christ, yes, I know I have a halo. You're supposed to laugh. (laughs) I know I have a halo, but I am simply ordained. We who are ordained are set in the midst of you to help you be Christ's true ministers out there in the world. We who are the ordained ministers cannot reach into the halls of power and the back alleys of powerlessness the way you can. We can't make a difference by being a lawyer or an executive or a teacher or a mother or a father. Well, mother or father we can do. But you have unique opportunities and unique gifts and skills, each one of you. And if you claim the name of Christ by being called a Christian, then you are a minister of Jesus Christ in your daily life. I pray that you do that with power, with intentionality, and with the grace of God. Because it is a sacred trust, just as sacred as my obligation and trust as an ordained minister. So I share this with you because it's a great passion of my life. And I know that the moments in my life as a, as a parish minister that were so important to me were when somebody would come to me and say, I have this ethical dilemma at work, or I have this moral concern about what's happening in my town. Help me think this through. Because indeed, indeed, it is how you take on the pain of the world and the opportunity and promise that God has given you that we together are the body of Christ. It's very easy to think that it's, oh, that's the ordained minister's job. But I've got news for you. You'll never be the body of Christ if you are not living the ministry of Jesus Christ just as fully as those of us who are ordained. You too will be subject to that rhythm of ministry then, and you too will be exhausted and stressed. But it will be a good exhaustion and a good stress, the kind of stress the apostles felt. If it's possible for stress, and burden to be healing, then this is how it happens. Because in carrying the burdens of moral decision-making and of caring for the world, we become healed and reconciled to God in profound ways. I pray that it will be that way for you. I pray that you, as a congregation, 
find ways to go out there and transform this world because God knows it needs it. Blessings on you. Blessings on Michael, who has been a great colleague through this month. Blessings on your senior minister, David Young, as he returns to you for a couple of weeks and then goes once again to the mountaintop. May all of you be blessed in Christ's name. Amen.